Blog Talk Radio. Good evening once again, and welcome back to Madam Perry's Salon. Our transporter is having some uh, technical difficulties tonight. She's probably going to pop in any moment, but um, I'm delighted you're here. And first of all, I want to say welcome. As if this is your first time listening, uh, then you'll know. I will tell you, I am your host, cruise director, and uh, cruise mistress, Madam Perry. This is uh, the podcast that loves you, the podcast with more celebrities than the inauguration. And we've had so many good shows, and thank you all so very much, all the people that have been. Security, condition three. Thank you. Security three, sir. 043, intruder alert. GQ three, intruder alert. Better late than never. Thank you. Security 3, sir. 043. Intruder alert. GQ 3. Intruder alert. I'm going to have to call the doorman to HR. Anyway, thanks to everyone that's been subscribing, downloading. Uh, some of the most popular episodes lately have been the Wolfpack authors. Although we didn't have everything, but uh, they were. we had a few of them here talking about their new anthology. And also, Monday night, we had Franny Goldie. And Franny Goldie, um, with you might know her name, you might not, but you know her music. She's behind, um, she created some of the best songs, uh, Night Shift, uh, Stick With You, uh, the Commodore's Night Shift, Pussycat Doll, Stick With You, Selena's Dreaming, and a uh, she has multiple Grammy nominations and Grammy awards for her music. Um, and now she has a clothing business. She's a designer. And uh, Adam Glassman of Oprah Magazine has featured her several times, called her Black Pants, Magic Pants. If you go to FrannyGoldie.com, and I've been sharing that everywhere, F-R-A-N-N-E-G-O-L-D-E, FrannyGoldie.com, and you order a pair of pants or something and use the code MPS, it stands for Madame Perry Salon, Franny will give you a discount just because you're one of my listeners, and she is magnificent. Now, we've got so many uh, fun shows coming up like we've had lately. Oh, uh, next week, Robert Trebor is going to be here on Tuesday. Now, he's a character actor. He's been working in film and television for a few decades a lot of people know him as Salmoneus from Hercules and from Xena, Warrior Princess. And he's got a new book called The Haircut, Who Would Be King? And he's going to be here next Tuesday. He is absolutely a lot of fun. And tonight, uh, tonight's guest is, is uh, I, I'm telling you, 
if if you're just tuning in, if you're listening live tonight, which is Thursday, May 23rd, you you're in the right place cuz this is going to be so much fun. But tonight's guest, he's a keen he's well, he's known as the keynote speaker with 3000 years of ancient wisdom. Okay, so he's going to explain that to you. He's got the most wonderful stories, colorful, entertaining from a lifetime of service and adventure with the uh, He's got you know, one of my favorites was the first one I heard about how he, um, it was called, um, That's How I Got to Waycross. And yes, he's talking about Waycross, Georgia, even though he graduated from the University of California. And you know I'm a Georgian, so how he ended up there, I had to hear that story. But he's got several books, too. And I'm going to give you just, uh, he's got about three or four books out. Um and we're going to be talking about his newest ones. If you've got his other books, they're called uh, Dawn to Destiny, Exploring Jewish History and Its Hidden Wisdom, Three Pillars of Success. The next one is Proverbial Beauty, Secrets for Success and Happiness from the Wisdom of the Ages. And his newest is called Fix Your Broken Windows, a 12-step system for promoting ethical affluence. You've probably seen me posting that on Facebook and, and Twitter. And now he's right here. In the genie bottle, known as Madame Perry Salon, please welcome Jonathan Goldson. Welcome. Come in. Get comfortable. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. I'll just pull up a pillow and flop down. A big cushy one. I want this to be the most comfortable pillow. I want you to have a good time because uh, I am just delighted to have you here. First of all, uh, obviously you're well known. You've done TED Talks. You've spoken everywhere. You've been all around the world. But just to let people... Uh, tell us just a little bit about you for some people that to whom you might be new. Well, to make a very long story as short as possible, uh, I graduated from the University of California with a degree in English. And what do you do with a degree in English? Um, I don't necessarily recommend you do what I did, but I went hitchhiking across the country. And then I crossed the Atlantic. I went backpacking across Europe. And eventually I ended up in the land of Israel where I rediscovered uh, the traditions uh, that I come from, even though I had very little knowledge of uh, of my Jewish heritage, uh, I rediscovered it in Israel, stayed there for nine years, uh, studied, met my wife, had her first two children, became a rabbi, and eventually left to go teach high school, first in Budapest, Hungary, then in Atlanta, Georgia, which is your territory, and uh, then and then St. Louis, Missouri, where I've been living for the last 23 years. I retired from teaching a couple of years ago, and now I am a professional speaker teaching professionals why good ethics is good business. Well, yeah, yes, you definitely are a speaker. I mean, you're all over the place speaking. So, um, by the way, where did you teach in, in Atlanta? I taught at a Jewish high school there. It was called Yeshiva High School of Atlanta. Yes, yeah, good school. Great reputation. Uh, well, wonderful. And I hope you enjoyed your time in Atlanta. Well, aside from the summer heat and the traffic, it was a wonderful city. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. When they call us uh, Atlanta here, when they call us the uh, LA of the South, they're talking about the traffic. Although we're having a lot of TV and movies being here, but it's mostly the traffic, I think, is what is being referred to. Yeah. It was so, a beautiful city and lovely people. Oh, good. Thank you. Um, so let's talk about, oh, 
Uh, first of all, I had been sharing your, your video about how I got to, uh, yeah, that's how I got to Raycross. And in fact, one of my taglines, my SEO things that, um, that I've been sharing was a rabbi walked into a bar. You've got such wonderful stories. So I'm going to let you go ahead and um, if you t- and tell us how you got to Waycross, because that's the best story. Okay. Well, um, I was, uh, as I said, I was hitchhiking cross country, and I woke up one morning in a Mississippi campground, and uh, it was a beautiful morning. It was uh, just a lovely, lovely day. It was, let's see, what time of year? It was right after Mardi Gras, that's how I can remember. And it just seemed to get one right after another. You know, there, every once in a while I had days like that. Some days you'd stand on the, on the roadside for hours. And other times just you'd get out of one car and the next car would pick you up. And I was just sailing alone. And I wanted to go, I was trying to get to Brunswick because there was a youth hostel there. They had a big 11-acre spread with these geodesic domes. It seemed like a really nice place to just chill out for a few days. And right. it looked like I was going to be able to it looked like I was going to be able to make it in one day. And I got my last ride brought me all the way to Waycross, Georgia, which is not a big town. And I stood at the crossroads, uh, the main part of town, trying to get a ride out. And it was starting to get dark. Now, one of the rules of hitchhiking is you don't hitchhike in the dark. One, it's not safe on the side of the road. Second, you never see who you're getting in the car with. But I felt I just had luck on my side, and I was going to make it. And I stood there, and it got darker and darker and darker. And one pickup truck after another went right by, and I thought, gosh, you know, just, just let me hop in the back of your pickup truck. You don't even have to let me in the cab. But nobody <laughs> stopped for me. And so I was walking, I was walking out of town with my thumb out. Nobody was stopping. Eventually it was pitch black. I said, I can't do this much longer. I've got to find a place to sleep. But uh, there weren't any motels. There was no place. It was all private houses. So I thought for a moment, you know, these great big houses with these big sweeping front lawns, I could probably lie down on somebody's front lawn, sleep in my sleeping bag. They never even noticed me. I'd be gone first thing in the morning. And then I thought, eh, maybe that's not such a great idea. Mm-hmm. So finally, I just picked a house at random, walked up the front drive, knocked on the door, and said, excuse me, I was trying to get to Brunswick, wasn't able to get a ride. Uh, would it be okay if I just put my sleeping bag down in, your front, uh, in front of your property? Um, I won't bother you. I'll be gone first thing in the morning. And this fellow looks at me for a long moment. And he says, well, you could do that. But if you want, we have a guest house out back. You could stay there if you like. I said, really? He said, yeah, no problem. I said, that'd be wonderful. Just follow me. So he leads me into his house, takes me back, and he tells me, you know, it's a good thing you didn't go to one of my neighbors. Uh, Lady on this side, she's kind of scared of strangers. She keeps a shotgun by the front door. And Phil on the other side, he has a couple of dogs. They attack anything that moves. So, you know, when you're talking about ethics, um, I was tempted to do what seemed like the easier thing. And I convinced myself that it wasn't a good idea. And I did the right thing. Uh And so uh, it it really there was there was a little angel watching over me. (laughs) 
and uh, maybe a big angel. I got to spend a pleasant night in, in this fellow's uh, guest house. He told me, help yourself to anything in the fridge. And, uh, and I was gone the next morning and on my way. That's good. <laughs> Boy, see, see that right house. If you had gone one over this way, one over that way, it would have been a, it could have been a totally different story. Um, well, that's a, that's another aspect of it is you know, we never know what's out there. You know, we we can think we're just going through life safe and sound, and we don't realize that there are things lurking in the shadows that we never even know about. Uh, it's uh, you know we have to be grateful for everything we have because things can disappear in a moment's notice, and uh, appreciating what we have is really the best recipe for living a, a secure and happy life. It's a good way to live, and I think, and to me, I think it's a good way to stay healthy. Uh, you know, I've, I've also like you. You've got these great videos uh, on water ethics, and you've got several versions. But your new book is called "Fix Your Broken Windows: A Twelve-Step System for Promoting Ethical Affluence." So, first of all, congratulations on your new book. And second of Thank all, you. I don't want to ask you to define first when people talk about fixing your broken windows. I mean, that's an expression a lot of people have heard, but for the ones that don't, what does that expression mean? There was a big um, movement in New York City a number of years ago. It was based upon a, a theory that was written up in the Atlantic Magazine that if you have neighborhoods where the windows are broken, there are derelict cars in the streets, the doors are boarded up, there's graffiti on the walls, and you have uh, unsavory characters hanging around on the street corners, those neighborhoods are going to, be going, to, going to become magnets for crime. But if you would fix the broken windows take off the graffiti, spray the paint over it, um, unboard the doors, tow away the cars, and shoo away the riffraff, a neighborhood where it looks like there's order, where it looks like there's respectability. So crime is not going to be attracted. It's going to be repelled. So there's a lot of debate about how much this program actually helped. Uh, the, the, the neighborhoods were cleaned up. The crime did uh, go down. Some people attributed to other reasons, but the theory is sound. When there's the mm -hmm. appearance of order and there's the appearance of, of fairness and there's the appearance of honesty and people believe in the system and trust the system, then everybody behaves better. We feel that we have a responsibility to preserve the status quo. But if things look chaotic and it's every person for himself and I can't trust, I can't turn my back on people, I can't trust people, I can't trust the system to be fair, then I, my, my moral commitments begin to disintegrate. So in our professional lives, in our personal lives, there are all kinds of little things we can do to foster a more respectable appearing environment to live in, to work in, uh, to have in our homes and in our neighborhoods and our businesses and jobs and then we can create that sense of order, that sense of civility, which will reinforce our own commitment to do what's right and will rub off on those around us. And so the book is really a, a series of loosely connected essays about different outlooks that we can try to develop and different habits and behaviors we can try to develop, whereby we can actually foster positive change and we can live in a better world. Oh, yeah. Well, and and so then you say it's a twelve-step system 
for promoting ethical affluence. Now, um, what is ethical affluence? I have to admit, I've heard of fix your broken windows, but I had never heard the phrase ethical affluence. Did you coin that term? I did coin that term. Uh, one of the problems I've had in selling ethics is that there's this misconception that we have that we have to choose between doing what's right and getting ahead. We have all these cynical expressions in English, nice guys finish last and no good deed goes unpunished. And, and sometimes you look around and you see that, you know, the rich are really getting richer and the uh, people get away with things when they shouldn't, if they if they're in positions of power or celebrity or, 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 uh, or wealth. And we really have to recalibrate. We have to recognize that ultimately, when we do what's right, we all benefit. Um, there are all kinds of stories from businesses where the business culture, for instance, you remember the Enron uh, disaster a few years ago? Uh, oh, this, yeah. this huge corporation just, just imploded and, and huge financial losses. It turns out they had this, this really corrosive um, com highly competitive culture where they pitted every employee against every other employee. And when you have an environment like that, everybody's looking out for me. I'm not interested in the company. I'm not interested in my coworkers. And it just ate away at the core of the company until everything just fell apart. On the other hand, one of the things I talk about in my keynote speeches is, uh, is Alcoa Aluminum, uh, which under the leadership of Paul O'Neill in the, in the 80, in 80s and 90s, had a tremendous turnaround because he created a culture where every employee knew that the CEO was looking out for him and the, and the employees became partners with management and the company just had a, had an incredible reversal of fortunes. It went from, from really being on the skids to having record profits year after year. So instead of taking the cynical approach that I have to put my morals in my, in my suitcase or leave them home, uh, so that I can I can make a, another buck that I can I can get ahead of the next guy, we should really try to recalibrate and, and, and look at things in a way where if if we all contribute to a better society, a, an ethical society, then we all become affluent and we live in a more prosperous, happier, safer, and more secure uh, world. That sounds Alcoa. Now that is. Um that is amazing. Of course, we have about Enron, and of course, we hear stories about other uh, companies, big companies, where the employees get out and say it was just too much pressure to work. You know, Google or whatever. And um, but Alcoa—that's a great story. I had no idea. By the way, this is a good time to say that uh, if you're listening to us live tonight and you want to call in and talk to Giannis and Goldson, um, have a comment or a question, the number is six four six seven one six nine nine two two. That's six four six seven one six nine nine two two, and Blog Talk Radio assures me it's a toll free call in the continental U.S. And if you can't call, you can always message your questions to me on uh, Facebook through Jennifer Maudette Perry or through Madam Perry Salon. And you know, Jonathan, sometimes people can't always call in. They um, maybe they're at a on break at a day job or something, or they don't they have a phone, but I always let them message in questions. So, um, and I know you'll welcome all the questions and calls you get. So, so then let's yeah. go back to um, so talking about ethical affluence. Um, 
I know one of the uh, <laughs> one of the bullet points on your website for that says reaching the top without throwing others over the cliff. And you know we're seeing a lot of that going on today. I think thanks to uh, social media, anything anyone does anywhere, for better or for worse, whether it's true or not, is out uh, to the public. And especially the people start to feel like you know throwing people over the cliff is uh, maybe the sometimes the way to do things because they see an example of that, and maybe some of the people they admire or their leaders. So, what you now? What, what do you what do you suggest for people getting around that? If people think, if they see, that's what what people do. What how how could you advise them? It's uh, it's difficult because there is this perception that if I don't do what everybody else is doing, uh, I'm going to get left behind. And sometimes that may be a real a real concern. I mean, consider professional baseball, uh, which for so long had these, these, uh, this, these doping problems, uh, the, the steroids that they take. And, and the interviews with players, they said, there is just no way I, would, I could compete if I, didn't, if I didn't juice up myself. So it's awfully hard to tell somebody, be right, be good, do the right thing, be honest, and you're going to sit on the bench if you even, if you even make it onto the team. Uh, that's a hard sell. What we have to do is we have to try to recognize that every one of us contributes to the culture that we live in. When we tolerate um, a lack of ethics, when we, when we tolerate um, a lack of fairness, then we, we, we damage our own moral compass. We lose track of what's right. We can no longer see the right path to follow, the straight path to follow. Uh, ultimately, the person I have to be worried most about is myself. And either I can listen to my conscience or I can try to muffle the voice of my conscience. And it just it doesn't it doesn't pay in the end. Uh, it's it's really kind of sad. You hear the interviews they have with some of these ball players and, and they say, I'd rather be a star for five years, even if it kills me. Um you know, it, it's so short-sighted. I mean, even the most successful ball players have relatively short careers, and then they have to figure out what they're going to do with the rest of their life. And and a lot of them, even the really successful ones, you hear about a few years later after they've retired, they've lost all their money, they're out of shape, could be their bodies are broken from all the steroid uh, use, and, and they don't know what to do with themselves. And all that glamour and all that success and all that wealth, it's just out the window because they didn't have the self-discipline to build a solid foundation for their lives. So it might look, you know, it's part of the problem with, with our, our Facebook world is you go online and you see all these people posting all of these wonderful things they're doing. And you think everybody's got a great life except for me. Uh, yeah. Well, ev everybody else has the same life you do is they're just, they're just posting the things that, that look good because they're trying to keep up with all the other people who are posting things. I mean, who wants to post uh, 
you know, who wants to post I had a mediocre day and, and my lunch wasn't very good and the, you know, I didn't get my work done at work today because the boss was on my case. Nobody's going to put that online. So we create this fantasy world, and then we think that we have to live in that fantasy because everybody else is, but everybody else is everybody playing the same game. If we'd be honest with ourselves and honest with one another, uh, there'd be much less pressure to do things that we really know we're not supposed to do. <laughs> That's a very good point there. You're right. We're all trying to sound good. And, uh, yeah, that's good. You know, and the example you gave earlier about the baseball and the doping and so forth and, you know, the attitude of, well, I'd rather be a star for five years, that's um, sort of what I was thinking about. You know, if people are in a in a cutthroat situation in their job and their business, and they go, well, I don't want to do it. You know, I feel bad. I'm, that goes against what I believe. But on the other hand, I've got a family to support and got to stay ahead. You know, I think that there, there's got to be um, – it's easy to see why people think that. They think, I've got a family, I've got this, I've got responsibilities. Um, it's easy to see how people would get in that mode. And then, of course, I think that usually um, – I, I just have a belief that when you're doing things against what you really believe, it, I think it really does um, make you ill in a lot of ways. But if someone buys your book, if somebody reads Fix Your Broken Windows, a 12-step system for promoting ethical affluence, how do, how do you guide them? Where does this 12 steps begin and end, and, and how does your book help people on a journey toward ethical yes. affluence? Because affluence means what, success or abundance or thriving, doesn't it? Well, it does. But there are a lot of very wealthy, unhappy people, and there are a lot of there are a lot of people living uh, modest lives who are extremely happy. And in Jewish tradition, the sages teach us who is wealthy, the one who's happy with what he has. And that really leads us into a slightly different conversation: What is happiness? We all talk about wanting to be happy. We talk about the pursuit of happiness. They have national surveys they take over every year to, to, to determine who's the, who are the happiest people. The problem is nobody's defining what happiness is. And in our society, there's a tendency to conflate happiness with pleasure. If I'm having fun, then I'm happy. If I have what I want, then I'm happy. And, and that's a tremendous misconception. That's really a case of distracting myself from being fundamentally unhappy because what happens when the fun's over? What happens when I lose what I have? If I now, my, my happiness is dependent on, my perception of happiness is dependent upon things and, and, and situations, then the moment those things and situations disappear, and I'm in a darker place than I was before. Happiness is really a matter of being part of something bigger than oneself of having a sense of purpose, of having a sense of value. My life means something. I'm contributing to something positive, something meaningful. That's why in all these 12-step programs, it wasn't, an in, it wasn't an accident I chose the 12-step idea because in the 12-step mm. rehab programs, the first step is acknowledge there's something larger than yourself. Because if I think I'm the focal point of the world and I think the universe revolves around me, um, I'm automatically disconnecting myself from everything else. And, and I think it all begins and ends with me. 
Whereas if I see that I'm connected to something bigger than myself, whether it's God, whether it's community, it's society, it's family, uh, it's, it's an ideal, it's a, it's a principle, but it has to be something that is real, that I can, that I can really feel that I'm, I'm, I'm part of, that I'm committed to, that I'm working towards. That's what gives me a sense of happiness. And that's going to be, I'm going to be a state of happiness, even if I don't have a lot of money, even when I go through difficult times. And if I don't have that, money's not going to help. So the affluence that comes from being an ethical person is part of a mindset that I recognize that my life is meaningful, that what I do matters, and therefore I have to set standards for myself. And then by doing so, I set an example for the people around me. I create a stronger environment. And now I have friends, now I have community, now I have a purpose. I'm part of something bigger than myself. And I truly am affluent because of my commitment to ethics. And creating that kind of a community, uh, I think that becomes, it sounds like it would become self-sustaining. Absolutely. I mean, you, you look at um, some of these horrible, uh, you know, just violent um, acts we've seen recently, the, the shootings in synagogues or the church, um, in, was it in Charlotte? Um, the the people who were the victims, they came through that because they had each other, because they believed in something bigger, because they believed that what they had could not be destroyed by the hate and violence of, of, uh, of one person. And, and it was painful and it was tragic. But you see the, you see the, the tremendous power of community and of commitment to those stories and how they came through. Yeah, you're exactly right. And they, and they showed us that. Um, they showed the country. They showed the world that. Okay, um, I need to take just one minute to uh, play an announcement. And uh, so if you're listening, it's Jonathan uh, Golson here in Madame Perry Salon. And we'll be back in exactly one minute. And uh, you can get a glass of water, too, Giannis, and that's what I'm going to do. <laughs> so, Chuck, talk to us about Fisdale being the Knicks' new coach. What's your uh, thoughts on that? Well, well I'll I tell you right now, Ernie, it don't matter who's going to coach this team. They don't got no talent on it. And I don't, I don't really feel I talk that's as true. I don't feel I talk about the Knicks right do now. Do you want to talk about lunch? No. <laughs> what would you like to talk about, Chuck? See, Ernie, I've been listening to a podcast called Madame Perry Salon. And I think Jennifer Perry, she's a great host. I mean, she got all these bestseller authors, Rasta, all the comedians. What about people we that could, don't have rings? Here we go. Again. I got Real funny. Ah, Real funny. Ah, 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 but I think she's great. And I think people would love her show. She got a great laugh. She make The laugh come out of nowhere like an eagle come in there and just steal the whole show. It's, it's, it's a beautiful thing. It's not terrible. All right. This is Madam Perry. We're back. I know you talk a lot about being grateful for things. And see, I'm great. If somebody says the show is not terrible, that's a good thing. That's a good thing. <laughs> good to me. Um, you know, uh, if if I could go to uh, one of your 
uh, you have such a great YouTube channel, but one of your What Are Ethics episodes. Oh, and, and by the way, yes, when you talk about gratitude, I know you have some great examples about, you know, what you um, and I'm not going to get this verbatim the way you said it, but about, you know, would you be mad at the boss who didn't give you a promotion that you wanted and feel you deserve if you knew that maybe six weeks from there that position was going to be eliminated and being out of a job? And so I, that's what I like to think about if I um, if I get stuck in traffic or have to get diverted somewhere, always think, well, maybe it's helping me avoid something somewhere else. Or um, if it's a detour, maybe I need to learn this route for some other time when it's going to come in handy. Or um, a house I wanted badly, put in a a contract on, everything was good to go. And then all of a sudden they said, oh, no, they were selling it to somebody else. But I had prayed about that house, and then I found out later it had some water leaks underneath it and some bad things. So sometimes you've got to, um, if you don't get what you want and and you think, okay, there's got to be a reason, you know, there usually is. But you had one episode called, and I really like this, uh, What Are Ethics, Part 17, and the subject was The, sh- uh, the Shame of Public shaming. Uh, I was so grateful that you did an episode on that. And I think um, your words were, you know, it's it's horrible to see that suffering and, and um, you were talking about how suffering and degradation of others is entertainment. Well, you're, you're taxing my memory. That was a ways back. <laughs> so, referencing you began by referencing Monica Lewinsky, and I watched her TED talk as well about the high price of shame, which was she yeah, did a yeah. job in her TED talk. Um, yeah, that's really what. Uh, Go ahead. Now that's what got me going. Is um, you know she was I think uh, twenty one, twenty two. Uh, intern in in the Oval Office, you know, people say, well, she's an adult. Yeah, legally she's an adult. But you know, if you've heard people talk about Bill Clinton's charisma, uh, they say it's absolutely uncanny. He is mesmerizing in person. I've heard this from, you know, all kinds of people, um, prominent people. They they just say that he he's like uh, you, you you're just you're just in awe of him. He just commands the room. He commands the space. And imagine some you know young young woman, uh, a little insecure about her appearance, who has is just enamored uh, by this you know charismatic, most powerful man of the world. Um, it, it's just not a fair fight. <laughs> And and especially after the story broke, when all of his supporters in the media, in politics, in, in, in the world of celebrity, just vilified her and made her the the uh, you know, the, the bad person in the story, uh, it was just it was just I, mean, I remember when it happened. It was, it was just sad to watch, and then to hear her tell the story afterwards, you you really get a sense of of how unjust it really was. 
that was painful to watch, yes. But when she did that TED Talk, I was just so impressed. I still hurt for her when she told the story, but I was so impressed. And she got such a great reception about it. But I was glad you called us, you know, called us all out about, you know, public shaming. Is this... Um, uh, well, think about yeah. the reality TV shows that are so popular. You know, people are basically embarrassing themselves for the for the celebrity for the chance of winning a lot of money. Um, when we when we when we sell our own self respect, then we're certainly not going to respect anybody else. You know, the the Bible says, "Love your love your neighbor as yourself." It means you have to love yourself first. You have to have self-love, self-respect, feel self-worth, and then you can start treating other people in a way that's proportionate to how you recognize your own humanity. You see yourself as a valuable person, and you can start to project that onto other people. But if I feel that I'm valueless, and I'm going to do whatever it takes to get in the limelight for a few seconds to get to, to make a quick buck, uh, to, to claw my way to the top over other people, uh, there's no way in the world. I'm going to have the mindset and the attitude that's going to enable me to treat other people's respectfully. And then you have the disintegration of society, which is what we've been talking about. Yeah, I think you also gave a quote from Solomon. I believe it begins, um, when the wicked rise. And I cannot remember the rest of it. Now no. I'm putting a <laughs> You know, it's one of the dangerous things about being asked about the, the, the things you write and the things you say, because I'm, I'm always looking forward. What's what's the next story? What's the next topic? <laughs> what did I say last week? I don't know. Go look it up. <laughs> but it's, it's, it's true that, you know, with the idea that, that King Solomon saying there is, is that when the when the wicked are lifted up and people look up to them and people honor them then that's really bad news for everybody. Uh, when we value the wrong things and we value people for the wrong reasons, then we're really cutting our legs out from under us. Indeed. Yeah, and, and I'm sorry. I, I felt like I was getting off to a beautiful friendship with you, and I didn't want to lose it over that. But <laughs> I know somebody called and told me they had done something because of me, and then they were talking, and they said, because... I said, because of me, they go, yeah, you told me to do that, and it would be great. It would be doing something nice for somebody. I said, well, I'm glad it was a nice thing, but I'm not sure if I can take credit for teaching you that. I don't remember it, but okay, yeah, so I know that feeling. Um, uh. when, <laughs> you just recently did a TEDx speech at, uh, in Colorado Springs, didn't you? Maybe a week I ago? did. It was, it, was, it was a great experience, this you know, people coming together to exchange ideas and how to try to make the world a better place. It was a really uh, very uplifting experience, the whole conference. It was a beautiful, beautiful new uh, convention center, uh, had a great hall, great speakers, great audience. It was just a wonderful, wonderful experience. Good. And um, I know that the you don't have the video on your website yet, but it'll be available uh, probably next month, sometime in June. Yeah, I, I hope in June or July it should be up, and uh, hope people keep an eye out for it. Okay, and by the way, um, 
The website is Yonason Golson, Y-O-N-A-S-O-N-G-O-L-D-S-O-N. Am I pronouncing your name correctly? This is a late You've got it just right. Yes, it's just fine. And my my father always said, just don't call me late for dinner. <laughs> well, because I had Franny Goldie on Monday night, and I called her Franny Gold at first, and she corrected me, and I was so embarrassed. But she said, oh, that's okay. Billboard did a whole article about people. What once about people pronouncing my name incorrectly? I said, "Well, okay, well that's not bad." Um, okay, so Jonathan uh, Goldson dot com. It's an excellent website, and it'll have the information, and it'll also have um, information on the books with a click here to uh, get the books from Amazon. Also, uh, your interviews, TED Talk, a uh, list of your appearances, and they also have uh, yeah. The, uh, oh, I like the title of your talk in uh, TEDx Colorado Springs, Hitchhiking, Fundamentalism, and the Art of Ethical Communication. Um, and then uh, there's also a button where people can uh, find out how to book you to speak at an event. Absolutely. Always good to keep the conversation going. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So uh, it's a very easy website to navigate and a lot of fun stories and videos in it. Um, what's the, uh, we've only got a few minutes here, and it's been such an absolute delight to talk with you. Uh, and I do hope you'll come back sometime soon. I'd be delighted. Oh, good, good. I'm glad. And uh, I know my listeners are glad, too. And uh, Oh, wait, I had a message from... Uh, Linda Penault, and she said, thank you so much. This is really fascinating. I can't wait to look for uh, this book. Well, Linda, there's the other books, too, he's got. You'll find them on the website, and I think we'll enjoy them all. So, But thank you for your uh, comment. And then there's also uh, Lonnie, Lonnie Fain, and uh, Lonnie says, good show, good guest. Way to go, Madam Perry. Thank you. <laughs> okay. So, um, so I've got a couple of minutes here. Um, anything coming up in a public event where people could go see you? Uh, no, I have nothing booked for at the moment. I've got a few things in the works uh, that I hope will pan out. I'm always looking for uh, for new opportunities, and you know, it's it's. Um, I, I I posted a story on uh, online a couple of days ago. There is this fellow driving through Florida at two in the morning. His name was Chris Miracle. And he was driving home from his family business and the towing towing business, and and he he saw he was he was looking at keeping a, a sharp eye out because deer darted into the road, and he saw these flashing lights on off of uh, through the bushes, and he drove by and he thought that's really odd, and he turned around and he went back. I wonder how many of us would do that, or if I would, and it turned out that a, a 77 year old woman had driven off the road in the dark, and oh. she couldn't get out of the car. And the only thing she could do is put on her flashers. And and if in a couple of hours it would have been daylight, and certainly nobody would have seen her then. And because he was watching out carefully, he saw those lights, and then he took responsibility to go back and check. He probably saved the woman's life. So, you know, when we're going through the we're going down the road of life, we need to keep our eyes open because there are all kinds of opportunities that present themselves. And if we're not paying attention, we can miss a whole lot of them. We can either do things we shouldn't do, or we could miss out on opportunities that we have to, to be real heroes. 
I think that's beautiful. I think that's the best uh the best parting story and um words you could give us. Jonathan Gulson, it has been an absolute pleasure. And so don't forget the book the new book is Fix Your Broken Windows, a twelve step system for promoting ethical affluence. Also the website, uh well I'm gonna be sharing Jonathan Golson's on my social media and uh here on Twitter and Facebook and LinkedIn and uh, you can always if you if you forget the name you can always check with me. Uh, I think it's wonderful and It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.